think we all know the phrase, free at last, right? You might know it from uh, the, the song, or you might know it from Martin Luther King, his famous speech where he talked about being free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last, uh, quoting that same spiritual. Uh, and, I th- and as we spoke about earlier today, uh, oftentimes in the, in the United States, we talk about how great it is to be free to worship the Lord. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in our communion time, I think that, that sometimes we forget that the greatest freedom that we have is not a freedom afforded by our Constitution, by our form of government, by any type of uh, institution or person or group of people that exist in the world. The greatest freedom that you and I have is the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. And one of the, one of the things that we, again, sometimes forget, especially if you... Like for myself, growing up, I remember hearing that speech of Martin Luther King and hearing that song about free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. And I very much thought in terms of, uh, you know, political freedom. And I think a lot of us did. And for me, I kind of forgot because it just wasn't part of my, my thinking, my mindset. I kind of forgot that that song was written by people who were enslaved, Right, that song was sung by people who were in physical chains, who physically could not make choices for their lives because they were in forced labor. And so as I got older, you know, I started getting this consciousness of more of our history and more of the history of, of different groups of people in our country uh, and around the world. And, you know, actually slavery is very much a real thing today all over the world. But I began to think, oh, you know, that's slavery. That's, that's what we need freedom from. And I kind of changed my perspective a little bit. And then, and then, as I got more into Scripture, as I got older still, I began to understand the reality of our own slavery, every single one of us, to sin in a way that I had not before. So it's kind of ironic. I kind of saw this concept of being free at last in a spiritual sense. And then I saw it in a deeper physical sense. And then I saw it in a deeper spiritual sense. Does that make sense? Does that resonate at all? And it's, it's, I really appreciate your prayer, Allison, because Allison prayed that, um, that God would, use, uh, would speak through me from my study, but also from my life experience and my experience with him. And I want to tell you that today, the study that I've put into this week pales in comparison in helping me to be ready to present this passage to you, pales in comparison to this, the experience of bondage that I've known in my life and that I think that each one of us has known in our lives to sin. And we don't like to talk about this these days, right? Uh, it's almost like Especially if you're not in a church building, how often does the word sin come out of your mouth? And then it probably comes out in the secret of your home, <laughs> the quiet, you know, the, 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 this, this places that are not public. You know, and this is not the way it's always been, but it's very much this way now. In fact, to use the word sin now not only feels judgmental because someone thinks, oh, you're judging me as a sinner but it's also incredibly arrogant to think that you know what sin is in contrast to someone else's perspective on what sin is, right? 
And so we kind of draw back from this conversation. We draw back from talking about the realities of sin in our life. And also, who wants to be a downer, right? Does anyone think, oh, I can't wait to get to work tomorrow to make everyone feel horrible about themselves? If you feel that way, you need to have another kind of conversation with Jesus before you go to work tomorrow, right? But this is, it's, it's all wrapped up. It's all wrapped up in this. And so, you know, coming up here today, the only, I would say, authority that I have to speak about this passage is that I, friend, have been a slave to sin, but Christ has set me free. And that doesn't mean I don't sin anymore, but I'm no longer a slave to sin. And neither are you if you are in Christ. That's the powerful message. That's the great message that we have today. Now, last week we were looking at Paul's message to the Roman church and his message through the Holy Spirit to us about grace, about sin, about freedom from sin. And at the end... At the end of his, uh, uh, this paragraph, this sentence that he has, and, and if you have your Bibles open, you can open them to, to Romans. Right, we're going to start in chapter 5 and get right into chapter 6. But just the very end of chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Paul makes this whole case that uh, through Adam's sin, we all were condemned as sinners, but through Jesus' righteousness, we all can be righteous. And Paul asks this question, or he makes this statement. He says, in verse 20 of chapter 5, the law was brought in so that trespass, so that sin, might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a great statement. But I told you last week, I said, look, when you start preaching grace, people will start asking questions. And the kind of questions that often get asked are questions like this. Well, then does it not matter what I do? Can I just sin and sin and sin and it's fine? The way Paul expressed this in Romans chapter 6 is, should we sin more so that grace might increase? And this is verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And his answer is, by no means. By no means. The English doesn't capture the emphatic nature of this no. It would almost be like it's the written version of him saying, no! No! Are you crazy? No! How could you possibly think that? But you know what? How many of us have thought that? I've got my hand raised. You don't have to. Don't embarrass yourself. I've thought it. I'm like, well, if grace covers all my sins and I'm accepted by God no matter what I do, then can I not just do whatever? Can I not just do anything I want? And, and here's the difficult part. Part of the answer is yes. Part of the difficult answer of grace is Yet you kind of can do whatever you want and you'll still be loved by God. You kind of can do whatever you want and Jesus' death and resurrection will still cover over your sins. 
you kind of can do whatever you want, and you still will be righteous in the eyes of God. And this creates a conundrum for you and for me. Because it's almost like that old phrase, if you give someone an inch, they're going to what? Take a mile. And in today's world, you give someone a millimeter, and they take, you know, 10 miles, right? Like, it's, it's people just want to push every boundary. They want to push, 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 and get away with whatever they can. I say they because I don't want you to feel bad by saying you. But let's be honest, it's us. We are the they, right? We can't look at our culture out there and not remember that we're part of the same culture in here. But by the grace of God, we don't have to be fully in the culture because God has offered us a different kind of culture in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. All right, so let's see what Paul has to say. And so kind of the the underlying question is not so much simply, should we sin more? I think most of us would say, yeah, okay. It's not that we should sin more. Okay, but why not? What's to stop it? Is it really so bad when I keep doing the wrong thing? And Paul gives us a couple of different answers. So look, look at what he says. Um, let's start in verse 2. By no means. No way. What are you talking about? That's crazy. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul gives us two reasons why we shouldn't just keep on sinning. And those reasons don't make any sense to me. He says, you can't sin anymore because you're dead already. And you can't sin anymore because you've already been raised back to life from the dead. Is anyone like, oh, okay, Paul, gotcha. We can go home now. No. Like, what in the world are you talking about? What is this business about, first of all, being dead, and then second of all, being raised from the dead? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't remember dying. And in terms of being dead to sin, I don't feel dead to sin. This may shock you, but I felt like sinning this morning. At least three times. Yeah, that I can remember and that I was aware of, right? And that I'll admit to. Well, I'm only admitting that it happened. I'm not even telling you what it is. I don't feel dead to sin. Do any of you feel dead to sin? When Paul says you died to sin, how could you keep on sinning? I wish someone, I wish there had been like a way, you know how, uh, like if this were like a live stream on Facebook and someone in the comment section said, I don't feel dead, and Paul could have said, oh yeah, yeah, I get that, let's talk about that. But no, that doesn't happen. He just kind of goes on. But he does give us something here. So he says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, you don't all know this, but there's actually behind this screen, there's a big tank 
It is empty right now, but sometimes we fill it up with water and we take people into that tub and we shove them under the water and pull them back out again. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we shove them under water and we consider whether we should bring them back out again. What is that what is that, that we're doing? Well, it's baptism, right? We're baptizing them. And why do we baptize them? Because Jesus told us to. He said, look, baptize, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's like, okay, Jesus said to do it, I'm going to do it. Jesus said to take communion, we're going to take communion. Jesus said to baptize, we're going to baptize. But why do we baptize? And I think most Christians have one of two ideas about baptism, and they're not wrong. They're just a very incomplete picture. One is that baptism is for cleansing. The Bible does talk about baptism being for cleansing. The other is that baptism is about public confession and proclamation of your faith. And there's actually very little about that in the Bible. But what the Bible talks about big time is that baptism is your funeral service. And your birthday party. It's your funeral service laying down into death, into the grave. And it's your birthday party. Hey, look, new person. It's important that we say it's our funeral and our birthday party. When my girls were little, they would say, when's your birthday party? And I'd say, uh, oh, it's on Friday. Well, I thought your birthday party was on Wednesday. And I'd say, no, my birthday's on Wednesday. My birthday party's on Friday. And they'd say, no, your birthday party is your birthday. And we had to explain to them that the party is the celebration of the event. Just like you don't die at your funeral, typically, right? You have a funeral because you died, And you have a birthday party because you were born. The funeral doesn't kill you, and the party doesn't make you alive. Baptism is a physical physical reality, a physical pointer to a spiritual reality. When you were baptized, if you were, then your baptism was a reminder to you that you died. And it was a reminder to everyone else that you died. It was your funeral service. And then, after a moment's consideration, when you were pulled out, (laughs) that was your birthday party. It's not what made you alive. You have the party because you're alive. So he says, baptism is being buried with Christ and raised to life again. All right, does that make sense? That's pretty clear what that is, right? But then we still might wonder, well, Lord, I've been to a lot of funerals and I've been to a lot of birthday parties and we all keep sinning. So how does this funeral slash birthday party have anything to do with whether I sin or not? And this is where it gets a little tricky. Okay? Do you guys remember two or three weeks ago in Romans 5... When Paul says this, in verse 13, Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. You remember that? And I was explaining a few weeks ago that what Paul is saying here, 
is that even before the law, people were sinners, but not because they were breaking the law. They were sinners because Adam broke the one law that God gave him in the garden, and they were in Adam, and so they were sinners. And I said, you're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sin because you sin because you're a sinner. Because we, each of us, were born in Adam, each and every one of us were, according to Scripture, appointed to the role of sinner, and so we very effectively and very willingly lived out that role, sometimes with great joy, not real joy, sometimes with great grief, yet consistently we lived out our role as sinner. And then it says in that same passage that then God made us righteous. He appointed us to a new role called righteous. And part of the problem is we still keep living like we've been appointed to the role sinner, but we've got a new job title. And we've got a new job description, but it's like we never updated the memo, right? We never got the memo that we got the new job. Imagine if you are working in a, in a big company and, um, you know, in like the movies where the, the boss's son is going to work in the company and he's like, hey, where should we put him to work? He's like, he doesn't have any skills yet, so stick him in the mailroom, right? Stick him in the mailroom and let him learn the job. And what if he learns the job and he gets promoted and he gets promoted and now he's vice president of the company, but he doesn't, no one told him, so he keeps showing up in the mailroom delivering all the letters. That's what it's like. So what Paul's saying here, he says, look, just like where there was no law, there was still sin. The only reason they were sinners is because they were in Adam, because they weren't breaking any rules. If you haven't broken rules, then you can't be convicted, right? And we know how this works. Like the, sometimes the government has to create new laws to deal with new crimes, especially in the computer age, all these computer crimes being done, and there's no law against them, so they have to make laws. But when you make the law, it doesn't mean that you can convict someone for what they did before the law was made, right? You can only convict them if they keep doing it after the law is made. Well, the same reverse kind of concept is true. And here's what Paul's getting at. He's going to explain it more, but here's the basic idea. Once you're dead, you're not under the law anymore. Right? You imagine um, someone who commits a great crime, but then they die before they can go to court. What do we do? Do we still take them to court? Do we kind of haul the coffin into the courtroom and make them stand trial? And then if convicted, what do we do with them? Do we incarcerate them? Do we give them the death penalty? What, what can you do to someone who's already dead? Right? Nothing. You're no longer under law. So what Paul's getting at here, he says, look, you died already, so you're not under law anymore. So you can't break the rules. Okay, that's part of the argument. You can't keep sinning because there's no rules for you to break anymore. Now, again, this might cause us to think, well, then now I can definitely do whatever I want because I'm not under any rules at all. Right? Well, let's think about that. Because what's the next thing that Paul says happened to you? 
It says we were, verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, if you think about this a little bit, where does death come from? Death comes from sin. Sin and death are intrinsically linked. So if now if you're alive, then how can you still sin? What Paul's getting at is this. He says, look, when you were alive the first time, you were in Adam, and you couldn't help but sin, and so you sinned. But then you died, which took you out of Adam, and then you were raised to life, which puts you in Christ. And now you're alive in a new kind of way. You've got a new position. You've got a new job title, a new job description. Why would you want to go back to the horrible things that you experienced in Adam when now you have these glorious things that you can experience in Christ? So to ask, should I sin more since I'm under grace, is a misunderstanding of sin and a misunderstanding of grace. It shows that we don't really know what those things are. Look at verse 5. It says, if, For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What he's saying is when you were alive before, before you died, before you were in Christ, before you got saved, before you, you know, whatever language we want to use, before when you were alive, your body was a slave to sin. And it was almost like uh, the way you related to the world, the way you interacted with everything that you came in contact with was limited by this reality of being a slave to sin. It was your whole identity. And now you've been set free from sin, and you're thinking, oh, I'd kind of like to do that stuff again. Do you guys remember when the Israelites were captive in Egypt? And God takes them out of Egypt with these miraculous signs. He has the, the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death comes and kills all the firstborn of Egypt and all the firstborn of the animals. And, but the firstborn of Israel are passed over. And Pharaoh says, fine, go, get out. And so the Israelites leave Egypt and they head towards this promised land. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them with an army. And God shields them by putting this, this cloud in between him, between the Israelites and, and Pharaoh's army. And while he does that, he literally dries up a sea so they can walk on dry land. Right? And then he uncovers the cloud. The Egyptians go after them. 
He brings back the water, drowns the Egyptians, but they are saved. By the way, the Bible tells us that's a picture of baptism, saved through the water. But that's not my point. They keep wandering in this wilderness, and they start to complain. They complain, and they literally say, why don't we go back to Egypt? God frees them from slavery. He takes them out with miraculous signs. While they're walking in the wilderness, do you know what he does for them? Every single day he gives them food, and repeatedly he takes them to water. And when there is no water, he miraculously provides water. He even gives them water from a rock. And they say, maybe we should go back to Egypt. We had it better there. Now, when you hear that, what do you think? Hmm? Ungrateful. What else do you think? I kind of think, that's crazy. That's crazy. And then what I think, because this is maybe one of my sins today, I think, I would never do that. And then Jesus says, you do it every day. (laughs) And I'm like, there's a bug in my ear. And he says, you do it every day. I'm like, did someone leave the radio on? And he's like, Stephen, you do it every day. Every day you try to go back to Egypt after I freed you from slavery. And you're right, it is crazy. It's crazy town. And every single time that you and I sin, we are saying to the Lord, hey, Egypt looks really nice this time of year. And it's crazy. He says, you were a slave to sin. Right? A slave to sin. You had shackles on. And you had forced labor. Because you were a sinner... Then you had to sin, forced labor. That doesn't mean it wasn't your fault. It doesn't mean you didn't do it. But you had no other choice. By the way, if you're this has to factor in on all these questions we have about free will and sovereignty of God. It has to factor in that we had no other choices because we were slaves to sin. So the totality of your freedom could only still result in sin. That's really important. But anyone who has died has been set free from sin. After you die, you don't go on trial. There, are, there have been some historical cases where they put people on trial after they died. And there have been some historical cases where they literally, um, they literally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hmm? No, they, they like beheaded people who were already dead. You know, this has happened. But generally, we don't do that because we understand that that doesn't really, you haven't done anything to that person anymore because they're dead now. It's just a symbol at that point. It doesn't mean anything. Because when you die, you're no longer under law. Just like in this country, uh, many of the debts that you have, when you die, they don't go to your children. They, they're done, many of them. You know, they're your debts. You're dead. You're no longer obligated to pay them. He says, why would you go back into slavery? And then verse 8, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
For we know that since Christ was raised from, the, raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So look, two things no longer you're a slave to. Like Christ, you're, you're, you're no longer a slave to sin and you're no longer a slave to death. It uses that word master and mastery in both cases. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Sin and death go together. Life and God and righteousness go together. You guys know I love the Princess Bride, and you know when they take, take um, I forgot his name now, Wesley, to Miracle Max, and he goes, oh, he's dead. And he goes, uh-huh, he's only mostly dead. Shows what you know. You thought you were alive, but you were only mostly alive are partly alive. Before Christ, the kind of life you had was a life unto death. In Christ, you have a life unto God. This is why you are righteous, because you have the resurrected life of Christ who is righteous. This is why your sins are not held against you, because you had the death of Christ to sin once and for all. And so to ask the question, should I sin more so that grace can increase more, shows that you don't understand sin and you don't understand grace. Sin is a slave master. Grace is a liberator. When you're liberated, don't go back to the slave master. But it is natural for, at least sometimes, for us to think it's better under the slave master. It's part of the human condition. Now, here's what's really important. Um, Both of these have to do with identity. Life, I mean, uh, sin and death was our identity. Life and righteousness and being for God is our new identity. But sometimes we don't live, live out of our identity. Allison prayed a reference to our identity statement as a church. Why do we have an identity statement? Because we need to be reminded regularly what our identity is because we so often live out of a different identity. Right? So often we live out of an identity that's not ours anymore. It is so hard for me to wake up in the morning and remember that I'm not a member of the kingdom of darkness, that I'm a member of the kingdom of light. That I'm not a slave to sin, but I am, in a sense, a slave to Christ, who is a very different kind of master. Very different kind of master. The kind of master that brings freedom. You know, do you know that um, in the United States history with slavery, that there were people who were abolitionists, but they could not... Um, they could not yet get the country to abolish slavery. So what they would do is they would buy slaves and give them their freedom, right? But you know what happened? Simply because their skin was black, people would assume that they were runaway slaves and they would capture them and then bring them to the South and then put them back in slavery. So it's one thing to be freed from sin, right? And you can end up back in slavery, but Christ is, does things differently. He, he buys you back from sin, and then he makes you 
a slave to himself, again, a very different kind of master, one that, that brings only joy and only peace and only goodness. But by being under him, you're no longer, you can no longer be stolen back away. The only way you'll end up back in slavery is if you take yourself. Right? But even then, even then, when we go back into that bondage, we cry out, Jesus, Jesus. And he's like, hey, 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 no, 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 no. That one's mine. Get him back over here. Get him back over here. And then, you know, we're happy and grateful. And then we're like, oh, it looks kind of good over here. And then it's horrible. And we're like, Jesus, help me. No, 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 that one's mine. That one's mine. And so it's, it's almost like saying, should I sin more so that grace can abound more? Hey, should I have a horrible life of this back and forth craziness since I can? And Jesus is like, why would you even want that? Just hang out with me. It's really nice over here. That was horrible. Don't keep going back. Don't keep going back. So we have this new identity. We're born, we're born into Adam, but then we're reborn into this new domain. And so when Jesus says to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. He doesn't mention it all there, but in light of what Paul's saying, I think there's this connection. Like That means you have to die. Nicodemus, when Jesus tells him you have to be born again, he says, how can I be born again? How can I go back in my mother's womb? And he's like, oh, are you serious? You really don't understand this? He's like, you're not going back in the womb, but hey, you are going back in the water. There's this connection. It's a new birth coming out of the water, if that's not too graphic. We come out of the water in our birth. You did your buried and then you come out of the water you died and you're born again and now you're in a new kingdom you're in a new domain you have a new king adam was your king now jesus is your king so then the question is well why don't we live this way why do we still sin Okay, maybe I've convinced you. Maybe Paul's, well, Paul and the Holy Spirit. Maybe they've convinced you. I shouldn't want to sin again. But then why do I? And I think there's three very simple reasons, two of which we've already covered. And one is this. I don't feel like I died. I don't feel like I was raised again. And I don't feel like I'm not under the law. So I'm living like I never died, like I was never raised again, and like I'm still under the law. What Paul wants to do is free us from those three lies. And the first two, we recognize how bad it would be for us to believe those lies, but there's a part of us that really struggles because we want to believe the third one is good. Let's look what he says. Verse 11. In the same way, meaning just like Jesus. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. This, that's the first two. Remember that you're dead. Sin's no longer your master. 
And remember that you're alive and now you're free to be righteous in God through Jesus Christ. Remember these things. They're true. The problem is not that you haven't become something. The problem is that you haven't realized what you've already become. And by the way, it's not about working harder. It's about trusting more the truth of the Scripture about who you are. I wrestled with this this week. Um, before we look at the third one, I wrestled with this idea this week. Um, have you ever heard someone say, I'm a sinner and a saint? You ever heard that phrase? That's how I've pretty much always looked at this concept. I'm both a sinner and a saint. But as I was, um, as I was preparing this week, I really challenged, I was really challenged by the Scripture because um, I've heard people say, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. And I would say, no, no, yeah, you still sin. But I had my categories backwards. You're not a sinner because you sin. That's not what makes you a sinner. What makes you a sinner is being an Adam. That's what the Bible says. That's what Romans 5 says. Even without the law, you're still a sinner because you're an Adam. You're a saint, not because you do righteous things, but because you're in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, can I also be an Adam? No. But I was looking at my actions, and I was claiming an identity. I sin, therefore I'm a sinner. And what God has convicted me of this week is, my actions do not create my identity. Rather, my identity is designed to create my actions. So as long as I keep thinking of myself as a sinner, it just leads to more sin. But in Christ, I'm a saint. In Christ, I'm holy. In Christ, I'm righteous. That's my identity. And so one of the troubles and struggles, struggles, (laughs) is speaking clearly. (laughs) But the other struggle and the other trouble that we have is that we don't believe what Jesus And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the Apostle Paul and our faith says about us. In fact, I sometimes find it easier to believe what God says about God than I have believing what God says about me. Because I don't feel like that's true. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. But here's the deal. You don't have to feel that it's true for it to be true. But you do have to feel like it's true to act it out. That's the trouble. That's the difficulty. It's true whether you feel it or not. But you know, I think we've all heard the illustration. You know when an elephant's a baby and they tie it off with a rope and hit a stake into the ground and the elephant tugs at the rope and it can't get the rope out of the ground. And then the elephant grows up and they use the same little rope and the same little stake in the ground and the elephant doesn't even try to get out. Because it has learned that it can't. But in the meantime, the elephant changed. And the elephant hasn't realized that now it's this massive, strong, giant beast. And if it wanted to, it could absolutely jerk that chain out of the ground. We still live like we're bound by this shackle of sin. 
And we haven't realized, like, I'm a beast now. I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm a giant. I'm a spiritual giant. I could just yank that thing out of the ground and just stop sinning. I haven't realized it yet. And it's, and it's, it's not just a one-time thing. Like, that would be so easy. If we just, oh, well, just try it. <laughs> just yank your leg out. Oh, I'm free. Now it's all done. I'll never be enslaved again. No, it's this daily, hourly, minutely, secondly recognition that the gospel is true for me. It's true for me. So why do I still sin? Well, I think I never died. I need to remember that I died. I had a funeral service. I remember my funeral service. I remember your funeral service. I remember some other of your funeral services in here. I was there. I saw it happen. You went into the grave. And then I had to remember that I'm alive again. And I remember that part too because I was in the grave and I came back out. And you went in the grave and you came back out. You're alive. I'm alive. Resurrected. Right? I need to remember that that's true and believe it. If I don't believe it, how can I live it? It's still true if I don't believe it, but how can I live it? But then we get to the last one. Sin shall no longer be your master because, because you are not under law but under grace. And here's the, here's the, the, the weird kind of like, you know, I was thinking of like a straight jacket that we Christians can get ourselves in. We think that to be righteous, we need to follow the law. And so we kind of want to still be under the law so that we know what to do, so we can do the right thing, so we can be righteous. But Paul says the way to get out from under the mastery of sin is to understand that you're not under the law, that the law is not something that you have to worry about anymore. Instead, you're under grace. Now again, questions fly. Well, if I'm not under law, can I do whatever, you, whatever I want? No! Weren't you listening? <laughs> Weren't you paying attention? This is not me talking to you. This is God talking to all of us. If you're under grace, you sin less. If you're under grace, you don't sin at all. Where there is no law, what does he say in chapter 5? There's no account for sin. Sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law. So technically, you cannot sin more when you're not under law but under grace. You can't. And that's going to sound crazy because we think of sinning as breaking the law and we think of obedience as obeying the law. And Paul's saying, that doesn't work. And basically, the next rest of this chapter and chapter 7 is all of Paul explaining why it never works to try to follow the law and why the law never brings righteousness. It can't. It wasn't meant to. God didn't design it to bring righteousness. God designed the law so that you would be more aware of your sin so that you would turn to Christ and His grace. 
And again, the more we talk about this, the more we, uh, the, the more, you know, if you start sharing this with other Christians, you will be charged with, uh, you know, being anti-law. And I just want to encourage you, so was Paul. You're in good company. But it is, it is the pathway to freedom. It is the pathway. Next week, we're going to talk about and look at, um, well, I'll just read the first, the first verse then. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? No. <laughs> no. At some point, we've got to start catching on. And Paul's going to explain that whole thing with dying. And you've probably read it before. Hopefully you're reading along. When someone dies, are they still married to their spouse? No. You are not married to a deceased spouse. Like, that's not how it works. You're not under that anymore. And then, well, what about like when I'm trying to do the right thing? Why do I keep doing the wrong thing? And he's going to explain that too. And then here's where he's going to end up. And this is just a sneak peek because it's so good. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 is all about how we are freed from sin, not because we do better, but because we are in Christ. And he's going to talk about all the struggle with sin and the law and all that. And then verse 8, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 is where he kind of lands the plane. And then we get to the soaring, beautiful realities of that chapter. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And he's going to introduce us to this new kind of law, the law of the Spirit, the law of grace, which is no law at all. No condemnation. So you are not a sinner if you are in Christ. You may sin. But that's not who you are. You are not what you do. You are more and different than what you do. You are who God says you are. Right? Regardless of what you see. Remember Abraham? Remember the story of Abraham and God says, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, I don't know, God. I'm a little old to be having a son. And you're going to have a son with Sarah. I don't know, Lord. She's barren. And she's pretty old, too. Don't let her know I say that. He's like, I'm 100. She's 90. She can't have kids. Like, this is not how it works, Lord. But God told Abraham, you're going to have a son by Sarah by next year. And Abraham believed what God said more than he believed what he saw. And again, like, not to be graphic, but like, Abraham probably was not going to Sarah's tent very often at night because he was old and she was old and she was barren and it's probably not his routine. But that night, what did he do? He went to Sarah's tent. Sarah got pregnant. They acted in faith. So yes, sometimes sex can be an act of faith. It's out there. Sometimes it's not. But sometimes it is. Faith is believing what God says more than what you see. Right? You are not under law. You are not a sinner. 
You are in Christ, and you are holy and righteous. And you don't have to go back to the old master anymore because you have a much better master now. And he loves you, and he's calling you to something different. So believe that you died, believe that you're raised again, and believe that you're not under law so that you can live like it. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know really what to pray except that we will believe it. Lord, I want to believe it. I want to believe it about myself. I want to believe it about others. Despite what I see, I want to have the kind of faith that Abraham had. Lord, I want to have the kind of faith that that believes that life can come from death, like Abraham did. I want to believe, Lord, that the tug and the temptations towards towards sin that I feel are, um, they don't have power over me because I don't have that master anymore. I want to believe that, Lord, so I can live it. I want to believe that that being righteous is not primarily or really at all about what I do, but it's about who I am in you. And that, Lord, as I and as we believe our identity more, that we will live out our identity more and more. And God, I pray that very specifically, very practically, that this week, Lord, this this week ahead, that when we find ourselves in temptation or we find ourselves in situations that challenge us, that we wouldn't be drawn to think, oh, I can do this. I can do the right thing. That instead we would be drawn to think, I am this. I am a different kind of person. I am alive in Christ. I am alive to God in Christ. So I am free to do this differently. I'm free to follow Jesus instead of what I had to follow before. Lord, help us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.